0: G'day and welcome to the online ministry for St. Augustine's Anglican Church in Inverell. My name's Matt and this has been prepared for our final Sunday in the year, December 31st. As we begin, let's open with a time of praise. Well, as we come to the word of God, uh, let me pray. Heavenly Father, uh, help us to live as families united in respect and love. Uh, Bring us to the joy and peace of your eternal home. Father, may we hear your word now as we read it. In Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, our Bible readings today begin with 1 Samuel chapter 1. You can read the whole chapter And our psalm today is 113. Uh, Have a pause of the video now, read those, and then we'll come to think about 1 Samuel 1 as we begin our new series in just a moment. Well, let me pray as we come to reflect on God's word. Heavenly Father, please fill us with your spirit that we might hear you speak. Please cause us to lean in towards your love, uh, knowing your goodness. Amen. Well, does God know what I'm going through? Does he even care? I was chatting with one couple at our church in the last week who, in the last few years, they've gone through the absolute ringer you might say they've coped more than their fair share. And perhaps they'd be forgiven for asking those kind of questions. Does God know what we're going through? Does he care? Now, while this couple will remain nameless, I reckon if I had all our church family together and I asked show of hands who thinks I'm talking about you, there might be quite a few of our hands in the air. Does God know? Does God care about my experience? Questions like this, they come up in times of frustration and grief and questions that I think are only inevitable as we live in a fallen and broken world like we do. Uh, In fact, the same fallen and broken world that God's people were living in about 3000 years ago at the time 1 Samuel was written. Now, In terms of a timeline, uh, 1 Samuel picks up straight off the back of the time of Judges. Uh, The Israelites, they're settling in the promised land and things are really, really messy. And so uh, Judges is a story of how God's people are in this kind of downward spiral, downward spiral of degenerating more and more into chaos as they walk away and forget God. Now, if you were to turn back a couple of pages in your Bibles, you'd see that the very last verse in Judges finishes like this. We're told that in those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. Now, by the end of Judges, the stories, they're so disturbing. uh, And it appears like Israel, I mean, you can't tell the difference between them and the pagan nations around them. And so as we get to 1 Samuel here, Uh, Israel, they're in the midst of a leadership crisis. And we'll get to that in the coming weeks a little more. But for now, suffice it to say that they've degenerated into chaos. And so, getting to 1 Samuel, things are messy. And now, we begin 1 Samuel 1, verse 1 and 2. We're introduced to, well, a guy who's a relative nobody from a place of no consequence. His name, verse 1, is Elkanah. Verse 2, he has two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. And now I wonder what you think as you read that. Uh, you don't need to be a rocket scientist to know that this isn't going to end well. all right? One wife, children, one wife, none. If you're a therapist, that is a goldmine, isn't it? And so here we've got some polygamy going on. Uh, What you need to know, really simply, is that this is not part of God's one-man, one-woman design for marriage, and so it should be no surprise, just like any other time we hear polygamy in the Bible, that things are messy. It's a relationship full of jealousy, of quarreling, of bitterness, and brokenness, as we'll come to see in a second. Now, getting to verses 3 to 6, we see a picture of this man and his family who are going up regularly to the tabernacle to worship God every year. And we're told, verse 6, Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival, that's the first wife, she kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. And, we can imagine the harsh and hurtful words that this second wife might be saying, can't we? Hannah, what are you doing coming here to worship God? What a joke. Right, we're giving thanks, but this God won't even give you the thing that you're asking for. All right, what have you got to thank God about? Obviously, he doesn't care about you. Can you imagine the kind of words that this second wife might be spitting out? Now, we know that saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, But obviously the rest of that is not true at all, is it? We're we're reminded here that, as a result, Hannah is a deeply unhappy woman. Verse 7, she would weep and refuse to eat. Verse 8, she's downhearted. Verse 10, she is full of deep anguish. And so far, that's Hannah, so far, for God, we're only told one thing. Verse 5 and 6, it's said twice. He's sovereign of all things, and so the narrator tells us that he has closed Hannah's womb. And so, on that note, I think worldly logic would say that if God is ultimately responsible for my bad situations, then have nothing to do with that God. Right, walk away from him, turn away. And yet, notice what Hannah does in her grief and anguish. Notice the logic of her faith. Right, in true faith. Hannah understands that it's precisely because God is sovereign that there's nowhere else, no one else worth turning to. And so it's right for her to turn to God for comfort in her misery rather than turning away from God like she might otherwise be tempted to do. Uh, Look with me at verse 10. Verse 10 says, In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, If you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I'll give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. Now in praying that God would remember her, it's a prayer looking for assurance that God both knows and cares how I'm feeling. That he cares when I'm suffering. That he cares when things aren't going my way. And what we see unfold in the rest of this chapter, it's a story of fortunes being reversed. In fact, it's a theme that we see picked up through the rest of the books of 1 and 2 Samuel. As God properly establishes his order and justice. And so our story here, it ends with that kind of reversal. From a position of being frustrated. A position of being in grief. Hannah goes to God with a plea of assurance that he knows and cares. And she returns, verse 19, we're told, with her prayers being answered. That the Lord remembered her, we're told. She's given a son. And she names him Samuel. And though she might have been tempted, like the rest of the Israelites, to do what seemed right for her, in her own eyes, perhaps being tempted to forget the, the vow that she's, that she's made. No, no, instead, with her prayer of assurance answered, assured that God knows her, that he, that he cares about her, that God loves her, she risked her own future happiness. And when the boy was no older than three, maybe four years old, she took him to give him his whole life. In service of the Lord at his tent. Can you imagine how much courage, how much certainty in God's goodness it would take to do that? To give up her one precious son. Now, although it seems like Hannah here is the main character in the story, she kind of is. uh, It's not a story about Hannah. And it's not a story about us either. We're not called here to dare to be like Hannah. It's it's not a promise of what God will do for every barren woman, nor is it a guarantee of what God will do for those who pray in earnest faith to him. No, ultimately, this is the story that's meant to push us to see that God is doing something, that God is active in solving the leadership problem his people have. But also, it's a story that's meant to drive us to reflect on the character of God. As we remember his answer to these questions, these questions that often come up in our grief and frustration. Does God care? Does God know what I'm going through in life? And the answer is yes. God knows. God cares. And the wonderful thing for us is that we don't need to pray this prayer that Hannah prays. No, no, we have these words from Romans 8.28 that are true. There Paul says, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, those who have been called according to his purpose. Now, they are truly wonderful words, but as great as they are for you, you may be going through lots recently and you may be almost even a little tired of, of hearing them. Maybe for you at this point, those words seem like an empty promise, empty words. But what makes them not just empty words is the assurance that we find as we keep reading on in Romans 8. Because we're reminded how, like Hannah, with the precious assurance of God's love, how she sent her own son to serve the Lord in the tabernacle in his place. We're reminded in Romans 8 how God, who considered us precious, didn't withhold, but sent his only son down to our place, to earth, to serve us. The man Jesus, he gave up his life for ours to bring us into the fold of God's love so that we might know forgiveness and new life right now. now. That's the assurance we're given as we read Romans 8 a little bit later in verses 31 and 32. Paul says, What then shall we say in response to these things? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things. And so friends, ultimately that is where our assurance comes from. That's where our certainty comes from. That God knows what you're going through. That God cares about what you're going through. And you might say, "But Matt, you got no idea. You don't know how just how bad it is what I'm experiencing right now." And that's right. I don't know just how bad the grieving of your heart actually is. But God does. And he wants you to fall on Jesus with all of your frustrations and griefs. Learning, as we're called to do in 1 Peter 5, learning to cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And so as we roll into the new year now, bind these final words of Romans chapter 8 on your aching heart. Romans 8 verse 38 and 39. For I am convinced, Paul says, that neither death nor life Nor angels, nor demons, nor things present, nor future, nor any powers, neither heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Friends, never be in doubt, no matter what you're experiencing in this broken world, never be in doubt that we have a God and Saviour who knows and who cares. Will you join me now and turn to him in prayer? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that while our world may feel turbulent and we may feel like we are in, a, in the midst of chaos, we may feel distant. We may feel like no one else knows what we're going through or, or can ever possibly experience it. Thank you, Lord, that you know and you care. Help us to be comforted by that knowledge. Help us to be comforted by the knowledge that together we stand in Christ. Christ who came and gave up his life for us. Father, help us to lean on one another and to lean on your grace. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, with that great assurance now, we turn to him in praise.
1: can be my strength I should come to him for the Lord is good and faithful he will keep us day and night we can always run to Jesus Jesus strong Vai Shit!
0: As we finish, let me encourage you with those words from 1 Peter 5 again. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxieties, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. God bless. Have a great new year.